Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Since our theme this year is believe, we really wanted to 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 kind of deal with some of the things that would come in and cause us to question or doubt our faith, especially the Christian Christian faith. And so we've been digging into this series in week one. And I would encourage you, if you haven't been here, or if you're kind of getting in on this, or you need to go back and re-listen, we've got all the notes, all the videos, all the audio, however, whatever form you want to tune into the content is, is available to you. But we started off in week one talking about cosmology. You guys remember that? That's just a really big word for the, the universe and how the universe came into an existence. A, a big bang needs a big banger, right? And so we've got that. And we talked about cosmology and the fine tuning of the universe and how, how God set everything up in such a way that where the universe, where, where the planet earth was able to sustain life and, and your, your body is, is, is super intricate and involved, which tells that someone with a brilliant mind created all of this, right? And then we talked last week about the problem of evil and how, how it's one of, one of the struggles that people have with their faith is that if God is good, then why do bad things happen? And we, we wrestled with that. And we talked about how with, with the problem of evil, it's not God's problem, yet he solved it. He solved the problem of evil when he sent Jesus. And we know that, that God solves those problems. And so the, 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 the tendency for us is whenever evil happens is to kind of push God away or punish God. But God says, if you will embrace me in the midst of that, I will actually provide some resolve for you. And this week, I want to talk about Christ. The Christ. Everybody say Christ. Christ. And so I want you to, to put your thinking caps on. I want to talk about the evidence for Jesus today. And um, there's a lot of evidence. There's a ridiculous amount of evidence. I obviously can just scratch the tip of the iceberg on the evidence for Jesus. We can provide resources for you on all of these things. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was... we. When we, I, I, it's more than a couple of years ago. It's probably about eight years ago. We had a, a live stream or something we posted on Facebook promoting a ch- the church. And I saw a comment on there. And the comment was basically from this troll, right? Someone you've never heard of before. How many of y'all love those comments? Someone you never engage with. And they decide to not just attack our church, and not just attack me, but they decided to attack the whole idea of Christianity and Jesus. And so they posted this meme, right? This, and you guys have might have seen this, that Jesus is basically a myth. He's a, he's a myth in, in the midst of all these gods and all these kind of false gods or these, these, um, these Egyptian gods, all these different characters throughout history that emulated some of the things that Jesus had in his life. And I've got to be honest, when I saw that, first of all, I was annoyed because I didn't know the person and they don't know us and they're just, you know, out there just being whatever. And it was annoying. But the other thing that happened is I got kind of shook. I was like, because I felt the need, not because I wasn't secure in my faith or secure in the evidence that leads to Jesus, but because I just didn't know how to answer the challenge, right? I was, I I kind of was left like dumbfounded. 
And it was frustrating because I knew that this person probably didn't do their homework. I mean, look at the graphic they designed. It was so terrible. I'm like, you can't even, you don't even have any idea for aesthetics. Like, I know you're not doing your research, right? And so it's just horrible. And the other thing is it was just really intellectually dishonest, which is normally what you get from this argument. And so kind of the, the, the idea, and maybe you've heard some of these arguments, um, that ba- basically Jesus is just a copycat from pagan po- folklore, that there's all these myths and Jesus is just another myth. Nothing about Christianity is original. So Jesus is really just a retelling of these people that actually predate Jesus. And so there's these, uh, the, these films out there. One of them is, I think it's called religiosity or something like that. The, the Da Vinci Code taps into some of this. Uh, there's a film, I think it's on Netflix called The Zeitgeist. The zeitgeist. So there's all these, and, and really what they're doing is they're exploring these pagan gods that kind of have some similarities of Jesus. And so they're saying all these things are the same thing about Jesus. So kind of three key players that I can mention, you might have heard their names. One is Osiris, one is Horus, and one is Mithras. And, uh, and so they, they kind of throw these in. And, and Mithras is actually kind of the strongest case. This is where the zeitgeist focuses on that, that he was 400 years before Jesus. And so you've got Jesus among all these other. Can we get that ugly graphic off? Yeah, because I was, I was really bothered by that because I, I felt like I can throw something together in like two minutes that looks better than all this homework, quote unquote, that all this copying and pasting they did from, from Google. Um, so th- th- these are kind of the similarities. The, one is, is that the, this God promises followers immortality. Okay, if you follow me, you'll get immortality. Another performed miracles, right? Which, hey, the, all right. A born a virgin, which Mithras wasn't actually born a virgin. He was born in a, a cave, like a, like a mountain, born out of a rock. And that they rose from the dead. Again, immortality. And, and this, is, this is the real kicker, right? They were born on December 25th. I mean, nail in the coffin, right? They were born on December 25th. Well, first of all, no serious Christian believes that Jesus was actually born on December 25th. That's just when we recognize that. It doesn't matter if we got that from a pagan god or it doesn't matter where we got it. That's just the day we choose to celebrate because we don't know the exact date. We, most of us believe it was in the spring sometime, not really in, you know, not in snowy mountains or, you know, uh, yes, that's, that's the Christmas message. So no serious, so it's interesting that they tag this on there and I would encourage you if, if, if these things are, are troubling to you about these other gods, because it, it is troubling when you first hear it. You're like, oh my gosh, maybe, maybe I've been believing a lie. And I would encourage you to examine the claims and you'll find that kind of what ends up happening is there's a combination. Well, this guy performed miracles or fed a multitude. This guy's story is he rose from the dead. This guy had followers. This one was resurrected. And then what they do is they kind of blend all these characters together and they go, look, Jesus, they're just copying Jesus. There's nothing original about the Christmas story. So these claims are broadly similar, but not characteristically accurate. Okay, you, you, you're tracking with that. But let's assume they are true, even the December 25th thing. 
And Jesus was born on December 25th. And these guys were, were told, uh, you know, were, were told that they were born on December 25th. Let's just assume they're true. Okay, they're true. All these claims are true. So there's a book written 15 years before the Titanic sank. And it was called The Wreck of the Titan or Futility. And it's about a ship that was unsinkable, deemed unsinkable, that ran in to an iceberg on its maiden voyage, and the ship's name was the Titan. Claimed to be unsinkable in April in North Atlantic, same thing as the Titanic, hit an iceberg on its maiden voyage and sank, not enough lifeboats for all the passengers. Sounds an awful like, lot like the Titanic, but it's not a true story. It was written 15 years before the Titanic. Isn't that crazy? Now, rejecting the story of the Titanic, because this was written 15 years before, would be idiotic, wouldn't it? Because we know we have evidence that the Titanic existed, right? So whether or not the Titanic sank is determined by the evidence for its sinking unrelated to any fictional stories that were similar. Are you okay? So getting back to the Jesus myth narrative. A supernatural birth, the promise of immortality, having followers, performing miracles, a resurrection from the dead, or, or uh, being immortal, these are all characteristics of any God. Any God would promise these things. Also, these are characteristics that were prophesied about Christ, over 300 of them before Christ was ever born. 574 verses in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. So these characteristics don't reject Jesus. They actually are, are not evidence against Jesus. They're evidence for Jesus. And not only do we have this in this pagan folklore, we also have biblical characters that were a lot like Jesus. We have biblical characters like Joseph, who had similarities, right? People that were, that were thrown in obscure situations. Moses, Joshua, David, spent time in obscurity, had followers, fed multitudes, performed miracles. Why? Because they had God's favor on their lives. So these are, these are not evidences against Jesus. They're actually cases for Jesus. They're indicators of divine favor. So let me give it, get into some evidence. Y'all okay? All right, let me give it into some evidence for Jesus. So first of all, we have uh, secular historical sources. Secular that means secular means secular doesn't mean like heathen and Christian. Secular means created by the church, produced by the church, for the church. Secu I'm sorry, that's sacred. Secular is things that are created outside the church. Okay, it's not necessarily demonic because it's secular. You guys understand that, right? It just means that the church didn't come up with these ideas. So there's secular historic sources, and I, I would encourage you. A lot of the information I'm getting today is from a guy by the name of uh, J. Warner Wallace who was a cold case detective whose wife was a Christian and he was an atheist and he decided to do a cold case on Jesus. 
This guy's like the one of the best cold case detectives of all time. He's been on Dateline and all these different, you can Google him, he's great. And so what he did is he did a cold case on Jesus, all the things that he would use in a crime scene. He went, he went and did a crime scene on Jesus and led him to faith because of, because of some of the things that I'm sharing today. So he's wrote a great book on that. I can, I can recommend those things to you personally, or, or we can, we could link it in later in the notes. Um, so secular historical service, uh, sources. Now, when we talk about secular sources, I'm not talking about that, that documentary that you saw on Discovery Channel, right? Or the one that you saw on the History Channel, right? It's a pretty good indicator if Discovery or History Channel or National Geographic put that out about Jesus. First of all, it is important to note they are talking about Jesus, but typically what they're doing is they get a little bit of truth, but they get the story really wrong, right? I mean, you don't trust Hollywood with any biopic, right? But somehow a lot of people are fooled when they talk about Jesus. So it's a good indicator there's a little bit of truth, but a whole lot of entertainment and shock factor, right? Because they want these, Jesus was married, right? Uh, no, no, he wasn't. And uh, history doesn't tell us that. Just some yahoo that decided to want to make some money on you watching his documentary. It's kind of like pro wrestling, right? You guys... Any of y'all like like pro wrestling, like WWE, right? So you've got real athletes. They're real entertainers, but they're not really fighting, right? It's all staged. And so this is what we're seeing a lot when, when the world is creating that. However, there are legitimate historical secular sources that write about Jesus. Jesus is in all the history books, all the legit history books that are around his time. Jesus is there. Uh, Cornelius Tac... Uh, Tacitus. He's a great historian of, of ancient Rome. He lived through the, the reigns of over half a dozen Roman empires. The Romans were not real friendly with the Jews. The Romans were not real friendly with the Christians. Guess what? They still include the Christians in their history. Why? Because the story is true. Uh, Lucian of Samosota was a Greek guy that, that basically hated Christianity. He despised Christians, yet he still talks about the resurrection. He still talks about the followers of Christ, and he hated them. Why? Because he was accurate to history. Uh, Joseph, Josephus, you might have heard of him. He's a Jewish historian, probably the most leaned upon text other than the scriptures, talks about Jesus, a lot about Jesus, a lot about the resurrection. And there's more. There's countless historians that talk about Jesus. Uh, Odo Betts said this, no serious scholar has ventured to postulate the non-historical Jesus. In other words, if don't tell me you're a historian and then try to throw Jesus out. It just doesn't work. Think about the, the calendar system that we have, that we all live by, 2022 AD. What is that based upon? It's all based upon the events and the life of Jesus. The fact that you write 2022 down when you're writing the date is an evidence for Jesus. The whole world revolves around Jesus and they don't even know it. So there's overwhelming evidence for the existence of Jesus Christ, both in secular and biblical history. Perhaps the greatest evidence that Jesus did exist is the fact that thousands of Christians in the first century AD, including the 12 apostles, were willing to give their lives as martyrs for Jesus Christ. 
people will die what they know for, for what they know to be true, but no one will die based upon a lie. And that these men, these 12 men, were willing to die for something that they knew to be true, not because they were trying to deceive people. Nobody will die for what they believe to be a lie. And these were eyewitness testimonies. And eyewitness accounts of people that spent time with Jesus, that saw the resurrected Christ. Culture. Look at culture. Culture is another, another evidence. Jesus matters in culture. There's more influence from Jesus on culture than any other person in human history. Any other person in history, Jesus matters in culture. Uh, so, so Greg Kokel writes this about uh, J. Warner Wallace, the book. Uh, that he wrote. He says, Jesus has such an unparalleled, uh, thoroughgoing, and, and decisive impact on virtually every area of modern culture, literature, architecture, m- music, the arts, higher education, world literacy, even science, that he remains irrevocably, irrevocably the one man who cannot be erased from history. Even if every, check this out, this is so important, every Ancient manuscript detailing his life disappeared from ex- from existence. Other words, if the if the scriptures went away, if you could no longer if if, if the the whoever came in and they said no more Bible apps, no more pages, no more scrolls, let's burn it all, let's let's delete all the data. There is enough in culture and in history that will tell us the life and the events. Of Jesus. There's, our culture is so rich of the story of Christ, you don't even need the scriptures. However, the scriptures, because they are eyewitness accounts, are the best testimony of who he really is. So look at literature. From virgin birth to resurrection, more is written about Jesus in literature than any other character in human history. Music. Every historical era of music has been dominated by Christ followers. Every era of music, even now today, if you will look at the charts of the most selling music today, you will see that that worship music is at the top of the list. I'm not going to argue whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying, listen, there is more music being produced about Jesus than anyone else. You might not like the sound of it. Maybe you love it. There's a lot of it I don't like. When I was in... I took a, my, my dad's here today, uh, he, he, so he gets credit for the story. I did not want to go to college my first year out. I wanted to have, what do they call that, a gap year. I wanted to have a gap year. My dad was like, you're going to go to school. And I was like, oh, yes, sir. And so being a, being a good 19-year-old, I, I decided to enroll. So I was like, well, what can I do? What's going to help me in ministry, right? And I was like, man, I mean, the, you know, community college, the list is really small. And so I'm kind of looking. I'm like, let's see what fits. Okay, there's a public speaking class. I'll take that. There's a, there's a New Testament class at my community college. I was like, sweet. I'm going to go ahead and start Bible college early. Decided to take that. I took a math class. That was a bad idea. Uh, I took a history class. That was about idea. But one of the classes that I took, which was really interesting, was a class. Um, it was called a music music appreciation. I thought they were going to teach me music. Nope. They just taught you how to appreciate music, <laughs> which was kind of a bummer. And we watched a lot of videos. It was really, really boring. But one of the things that I learned during that is that the early adopters of music, music wasn't written by secular folks. All the music, all early music was written by the church. 
Isn't it interesting? Now, later on, the world started learning some of that. We would take tunes and bar tunes and stuff like that. But most music, and that's where the terms secular and sacred started, was really in the music industry because people were creating music that weren't in the church. And everybody was going, whoa, what is happening? They're, they're, they're taking our tools and they're using them to, to worship their gods. And so from music notation, music instrumentation, all instituted by Christ followers. Look at the early people that, that started music, all of them Christ followers, all the great music. I mean, th think about, you know, Beethoven and all these guys. All of it is like worship music. We don't think of it in that, in that context because we, it's so ingrained in our culture, but it was really written as worship music. So music, visual arts. Uh, there was another thing before we move on to that. There was another thing that um, uh, Jay Warner Wallace was talking about in this talk that, that I heard, which just blew my mind. And he said that um, over the last hundred years, if you will look at the billboard, all the top 100 billboard artists, only two of them did not have a song about Jesus. The top billboard artists over the last hundred years. It's crazy. Visual arts. The gospel, could, the gospel could easily be extracted by the multitudes of painted, etched, sculpted, and craft, crafted artwork about Jesus for the first 500 years. So just for the first 500 years after Jesus, you could take all the artwork that's about Jesus and preach the gospel with it, just from the artwork. Education, many major universities. You know that there's many universities that are major universities in America. You think of like some of them, they're not even accredited. And the reason is because they were founded by Christians. You wouldn't know that now. But they were founded by Christians because there was, there was such a conviction in the lives of believers that they said, we've got to educate people. We've got to teach them how to think. Now they're teaching everybody what to think. But back in the day, they taught people how to think. Yes. Science. Some people say, well, you can't reconcile science and religion. False. Because <laughs> the, early, the early adopters of science were Christians. Check this out. There's a guy, Stephen, uh, Stephen F. Meyer. I, I would encourage you to, to, if you're really into science and you're, you know, if you can grapple with that stuff and listen to it and get it, not have to pause the video every two minutes. Um, Stephen F. Meyer is great. He wrote a, he wrote a, uh, he, he has a project, several projects. One is called the Cambrian Explosion. Uh, and uh, he just, he, he talks a lot about science and the, the, the genetic code and in your DNA and all this stuff. He's just brilliant, way more brilliant than I can even listen to for five seconds. But he, he says this, the Christianity gave rise to modern science. So the scientific uh, revolution from, from 1300 to 1700 was initiated by Christian theological ideas. One of those ideas is the idea of intelligibility, that nature is intelligible. There's an order and design that can be understood and discerned by the scientists because nature is the protocol of, rash, of a rational mind, namely the mind of God. So they said, God's really smart, and he's given us minds, so we should search God out in the science. They didn't, didn't even have the idea, really, the, the, the context, the grid for science. And at that same mind, the creator who made nature with a rational order built into, into made us and our ability to reason so we could perceive and understand the reasons that he built nature. So they're saying, we don't want to just know that nature exists. We want to know why God made it. And so they, this caused them to search. So science, and, and I, it, this is what happens now. If there's a, 
Some of you guys, have, have you ever heard of Ben Stein? Ben Stein, you guys remember there was a show, I don't know, 15 years ago called Win Ben Stein's Money. Bueller, Bueller. Y'all know that? Yeah, y'all know that. You've seen the meme. That's Ben Stein. So Ben Stein's a scientist, like, a, like a incredibly intelligent. And so, but he's a theist. He's a Jew. He's not a Christian. We'll get him there. But, he, but, he's, but he's, he's a theist. And because he's a theist, he was expelled from the scientific community. They wouldn't let him bring his ideas in. And so many times you don't hear about Christian scientists because they don't publish their work. The, the, the powers that be will not publish their work. They, they say, well, you, we, you don't agree with our narrative. <laughs> Come on, sounds like a lot of other things. You don't agree with our narrative, so you can't talk here. So what we learn is this. You can reject Jesus, but you cannot logically dismiss his impact on history and culture. You just can't. You can't dismiss the impact of Jesus. Again, even if the, all the New Testament manuscripts are thrown away, just through history and culture, you could get the gospel. <laughs> and many do, by the way. Many don't read their Bibles. Many don't read the, the firsthand accounts. And so they've got this narrative of Jesus that is twisted, that they've only got a cultural Jesus. Come on, they've only got something they've learned in a song that was from someone that wasn't even a follower of Jesus. Or a painting from someone that wasn't a follower of Jesus, and we get misconstrued. So it's important to go, you know, when, when Luke, I'm not going to go into the verse, but in Luke chapter 1, Luke starts talking about, you know, Luke was a doctor, and Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And so when he writes those books, he's like, man, we've done our homework. He starts off in the, in the first several chapters of Luke chapter 1. He says, we've done our homework. These are things that we have saw. These things have been verified. We did a lot of work to make sure that we're bringing accuracy to the accounts of Jesus. And so it's important that we do our work. Come on, don't just be like, listen, don't just say because the Bible tells me so. That might be enough for you and your personal faith. And we're going to talk about scripture, the scriptures next week and, and talk about why you can trust the Bible. And uh, w what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to get into a place where well, the Bible says it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. That's great. I love all the jargon. And that's great for you personally. But, but that is not objective. That's a very subjective view of, of, of those things. So you need to be able to grapple and wrestle and have intelligent conversations with people about these issues, okay? So another area that we see the evidence in Jesus is in other religions. So isn't it interesting that Jesus, even people that aren't Christ followers, respect Jesus? I mean, they all give props to Jesus, right? So what they do with Jesus is they either merge him or they modify him to fit their belief system. Some Christians have done that. <laughs> they modify Jesus to fit their belief system. But look at Hinduism. His, Hindus teach that Jesus is a wise teacher. He's so wise. We can learn from Jesus. Yeah, you should follow him, and that would make you wise. Buddhism, they kind of merge Jesus. They say Jesus is kind of like the ultimate kind of Buddha follower because he was he really... Buddhism is not really a religion per se. It's more of a consciousness. And so there's a, it's, it's a thinking thing, but, but people follow it as a religion. Uh, new Age. Jesus is used uh, to propagate idea, which really Buddhism is a New Age religion or philosophy. And so Jesus is used to propagate ideas. Well, that's what Jesus would do, right? You talk about the religion of wokeism is a religion, by the way, because there's, there's rules and there's a list and there's a code that you have to live by. And if you don't live by that code, you get canceled. Sounds like a religion to me. So even in wokeism, they're like, well, what would Jesus, what do you think Jesus would do? And they, what, they, what they typically would try to do, followers of wokeism, and whatever the word is, is they'll come, they'll come to Christians and they'll say, 
well, G you follow Jesus, and Jesus wouldn't do that. And they don't know Jesus. They don't follow Jesus. They, all they have is a cult cultural narrative of who Jesus is, right? Yeah. And so it, it, it just, what it does show is this. It shows that everyone respects Jesus' authority. That's what it shows. Islam, think about Islam. Islam, Jesus is mentioned as a prophet, I mean, Jesus is respected as a prophet. They don't believe his prophecies, but they respect him as a prophet. But really what it boils down to, and the thing that people really struggle with with Jesus, and this is where it really gets down to the, to the tough stuff, is when we start talking about the resurrection. This is where people have a difficult time. It's a difficult idea for many because it seems beyond the realms of possibility. I mean, who raises from the dead with no help? Who dies and then raises themselves basically from the dead? There's only been one. There's only been one. So there's, there's views. There's several views, but I want to talk about the two major, uh, two major views that oppose the resurrection. One is this, is that the body of Jesus was stolen. So the disciples were such good followers of Jesus, and they wanted what Jesus said to be true. So what they did is they went in and they stole the body of Jesus so there wouldn't be a body in the grave. Let me give you a couple of facts on that. Fact one, if the body was stolen by his followers, all that need, would need to be disproving the claim would be to produce the body. They stole it. Where's the body? Right? If you stole $10 billion worth of diamonds, what's the evidence? Where's the diamonds? Or where's the money to account for those diamonds? No body has ever been produced. Fact two, there were Roman guards at the side of the tomb. How could any of the followers of Jesus stolen a body from Roman guards who were trained soldiers who were guarding that body? How could they do that? Fact three, there was a giant stone covering the tomb, which would have taken several people to move. Again, the tomb is covered by guards. So you think these guys snuck in, were sneaky past the guards. Hey, let's get them. Let's roll the stone away. That won't make very much noise. Let's get the body of Jesus stealth style, right? I mean, these guys were not like trained special ops disciples. They were average fishermen. They probably made a lot of noise when they were eating, <laughs> you know, whatever. They weren't known for their precision. Fact four, the early followers of Jesus were persecuted for their belief. They were offered two options, renounce their belief in the resurrection of Christ or die. It seems likely where the, if where the disciples would have, would, have, uh, would have stolen the body, they, they would have said, okay, it's not true. We want to we live. It's not true. No, they, they believed in the resurrection because they saw the resurrection, because they put their, their fingers in his hands, because they had the conversations, because they ate with this man who is alive. They would not die because they encountered the resurrected Christ. It's true that people die every day. Listen, it's true. People die every day for lies, but nobody dies for something they know to be a lie. And if they had stolen the body, then why would they die for something they knew to be a lie? The second theory is this. Well, Jesus, we agree, it kind of sounds ridiculous that his body gets stolen. So this is what happened. Jesus was 
actually just asleep. He was kind of like knocked out from all the brutality he suffered. And they call this the swoon theory. And the swoon theory that just means that Jesus wasn't dead. He was almost dead. And then over those three days when he was in the tomb, he had enough life to get up, go to that big stone, roll it out of the way, overpower two guards. We're talking about a man that was beaten within an inch of his life if he wasn't dead and able to go about and show himself, clean himself up and show himself to his disciples. That sounds reasonable. The resurrection is reasonable. And one of the great proofs, again, is the lives of Jesus's followers. One of the greatest resurrection, one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection is that you're here today. One of the greatest proofs of the resurrection is that you're here right here. And, the, and, and all that somebody has to do to disprove the resurrection, all they have to do is one thing, produce a body. And no body's ever been produced. There is a body. It's a resurrected body. It's a body that defeated death. And that body is in heaven right now making intercession for you, representing you to the Father. He is still alive. Jesus is living. He clothed himself with immortality. He was immortal. He came on, took on mortality. And then guess what? Defeated immortality. He defeated mortality with immortality. He is clothed with immortality. He still has a body. He still has elbows and earlobes and eyebrows. They're probably not as nice as yours, his eyebrows. Probably doesn't trim them. Perfect. He got the perfect resurrected body. Yes. He doesn't need to shave his back hair. Okay. He don't have that. Okay. I don't even know where that came from. The greatest evidence is that there is a grave and it is empty. This is the greatest evidence of Jesus. There is a grave, and that grave is empty. And Jesus makes this claim that he is not just resurrected, but he is the resurrection. He is the resurrection. And because he is alive, you can live. You can experience life to the fullest because he is fully alive. And this is his claim. This is his claim. I am. In that statement alone, I am. Put the period there if you like. I am. He is equating himself with the Father. He is equating himself with God in the flesh. I am the way. He doesn't say I am a way. He says I am the way. I am the truth. He's not a truth. He's the truth. I am the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one gets to God. No one gets to heaven except through me. Pastor, are you saying that if people are devoted and sincere to one of the other religions as you talked about today, that they can't go to heaven? I'm not saying it. Jesus says it. Jesus says, I am the way. You say, well, that's unfair. Isn't God kind? Won't he see human sincerity? 
It's not about him seeing human sincerity. It's about him providing a way for you to be in relationship with God. And you can take that way or you can try to get in another way, but there's only one way. When you walked in this room today, you walked through those double doors into this auditorium. And when you leave, you will go out those doors. But the only way you got in this room today was through the doors that have been provided. And the only way that you get into relationship with the Father, it's not by your sincerity. It's not because you stand outside and you go, oh, man, I wish. I could go in there. All right, my way is just to kind of climb over. You can't climb over. There's a big old firewall that we spent a lot of money for. You can't get through that wall. You can't get through. You can try, but you'll never get through. But the good thing is, is God in his kindness provided a way for you to walk through those doors by trusting Jesus. He's the way. So inclusivism doesn't work. It's not about being a good person or having sincere intentions. It's about following the right way. If Siri gives you directions to Dallas and you decide to take your own way, you might end up in Fort Worth. You got to follow the way. And Jesus is that way. See, Jesus is not a savior. Jesus is not my personal Savior. I, I don't really like that term. My personal Lord and Savior. I, I get it. But that's very subjective. Listen, he is the Savior. Therefore, he has become my Savior. Because Jesus is the Savior, he can save me. Because Jesus is the Savior, he can be the Savior of every man, of every woman, of every child, of every drug addict of every murderer. He can say, there is, there is no place that his big old heavenly arms can't reach. He's the way, and he requires trust. And this is his mission. See, his mission wasn't to propagate a human agenda. His mission was heaven's agenda. His mission was heaven's agenda for the Son of Man, Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man. You want to know the mission and statement of Jesus? Here it is. The Son of Man came. This is why I'm here, to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to found you. That's why he came. He didn't just show up so we could have good paintings and good stories and good music and good feelings. He came to provide the way to the Father. He came to seek and save the lost. And the only thing that qualifies you is to recognize I'm lost and I need someone to show me the way. And Jesus provides the way. Why is Jesus the only way to God? Because he's the only one that made a way. See, no one else has made a way. You can't make your own way to, to God. This is the gospel. You will fall short. What does it take to get before God, to be as righteous as God is? That's the standard. How are you going to do that? By being a good person? Through your sincerity? No, because if you're humble enough and you're objective enough, you screwed up today, probably on your way to church. I screwed up today, probably after I got here. But guess what? I don't go to heaven. I'm not in a relationship with God according to my merits. I'm according, but according to his merits. Because of Christ, in Christ, I have the righteousness of God. That's the standard. There's only one way to get it. And it's not by being a good person. It's by trusting what Jesus did. Jesus is the only one that provided the way. So there aren't, there aren't many ways to God. Listen, if there are many ways to God then Jesus died a cruel death 
for nothing. If there are many ways to God, then why did Jesus, the, the most precious man the world has ever known, the creator made flesh, why did he die? If he could make it in on your own, he died for nothing. He died for nothing. But no, he died for something. He died to seek and to save that which is lost, to rescue you, to clothe you with his righteousness. He's the only one that made the way. He's the only one that could. He's the only one that could. He's the only one that fulfilled the 300 prophecies. The chances of that are one to the 157th power of fulfilling all those things. I heard it this way one time, that if you put an X on a quarter and you stacked up quarters two feet tall in the state of Texas, and he flew, and you just threw that randomly into the mix. One quarter, you don't know where it's at. You don't know if it's in West Texas, way out in El Paso. You don't know if it's in East Texas, out in Tyler, or down here in, in, in Grand Prairie. You don't know where it is, and you just randomly jump on an airplane, and you fly over Texas in an airplane, and it takes you forever, and you just decide, I'm going to jump out. You, re- you get, the, get into this pool of coins, and you reach out, and you grab one corner, and you pull it up, and it's marked with the X. That's one to the 157th power. The chances of someone fulfilling all that Jesus fulfilled. He's the only one that could. Jesus is the only one that would. Jesus is the only one that would. Buddha didn't love you. Osiris didn't love you. Mohammed definitely didn't love you. But only a love so big, so unconditional, so unfathomable, would die so that their enemies could be rescued. And he's the only one that did. Romans 5, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. me. If you be honest with yourself today, you, the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But get this, God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were sinners. While we were enemies opposed to God, doing it our own way, I'll die for you. Only a love so big. He's the only one that did. C.S. Lewis says it this way about the claims of Jesus. He's either a liar. Everything that he said, everything that we have in the Gospels, everything that history tells us that Jesus said, all of it is Jesus was a liar. Jesus was a lunatic. He was sincere. He was just crazy. They should have put him in a loony bin. Or he was exactly who he said he was. He is the Lord. See, if all Jesus was was a great moral teacher or a great prophet, he wasn't a great moral teacher. He was a wicked man to lead millions astray. If what he said was not true, Jesus is evil. If he's a lunatic, a false prophet, 
Listen. In the faith, we can disagree about a lot of things. We will disagree about a lot of things. We'll disagree about the way you baptize somebody. If someone has to be baptized, we'll disagree about the gifts of the Spirit, whether they should be functioning in church. We'll disagree about speaking in tongues. Maybe we'll agree. I don't know. We'll disagree about divine healing. We'll disagree about the end times, especially. Most of y'all probably disagree with your pastor on the end times. We might even, we might even disagree with the creation account. But there's one thing that we've got to get right. There's one thing that we have to agree on. We have to agree on Jesus. See, see that Jesus is the one we have to get right. We've got to get it right when it comes to Jesus. And beloved, we are living in a culture that gets Jesus really wrong. They painted this man that is not the man. It is not the man that he claimed to be. They think he came for a different mission. You've got to get it right. Who is Jesus? Not as who Jesus is to you, but who is the man, Jesus? Is he the God man? Is he resurrected? You've got to get Jesus right because he's the way and the truth, and you've got to get that right. So the greatest question ever asked was asked by Jesus. The greatest question. The great philosopher Jesus once asked, he was, Jesus is is the great philosopher. But it's not just philosophical. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? I think that the Lord right now on the earth is saying, who do people say that I am? (laughs) Really? using Jesus to promote your politics? Whether you're on the right or you're the left, they both do it. Who do you say that I am? Who are people saying that I am? And they replied, well, Lord, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. They think you're just a long list of these guys. Then he asks, and Jesus gets personal. Who does everybody say that I am? What about you? Who do you say I am? I'm asking you the question today. Who do you say Jesus is? You've got to get this one right. You've got to get this right. Who do you say he is? Simon Peter answered. Lord, I've come to know that you're the Messiah. You're the promised one. You're the one that fulfills the prophecies. I think I know that you're exactly who you said you were. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the rescuer of humanity. You are the one that came to seek and save the lost. You are God in the flesh. You are here to take over. And I will follow you. So, beloved, today we've talked about Jesus. We 
we've sang about Jesus. We've sang to Jesus. We've learned about Jesus. Love it. You need to know all that. But he is not content with you knowing about him. You can come up. He wants to know you. He wants to know you. Well, doesn't God know everything? Yeah, yeah. But he wants to know you in an intimate way. He wants to know you on a personal level. He's not just like, hey, I I know who you are because you're a human. I know who you are because you've spent time with me. Because you've locked eyes with me. He gives Peter this statement. He says, yeah, your name's Peter. I'm changing your identity based upon you discovering mine. He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. No, it was the heart of my father. The heart of my father was revealing who I am. Will you stand with me? See, his words are spirit and life. His life is worthy to be followed. His death was sufficient. And his resurrection necessary to bring life to us.